tonight. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will work in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one. We're going to go ahead and get into the book of Philippians here. Um, it was a blessing for me, for me to be able to have the privilege of studying through Colossians with you um, for the past, I think it took about a year or so of Wednesday nights to, to go through it. And uh, Philippians, probably about that long, just depending on, um, on a few different things, but it's about the same size book here. You see about four chapters and about the same size as Colossians. Um, I think this, this book is a lot more practical than Colossians, uh, than, than Colossians. Brother Turner, very good to see you. Do you want to teach this? I, I feel like this is my Bible school teacher right here. This is a very strange feeling for me to look over and see my teacher over here. Oh, I just got real nervous. <laughs> the pressure, the pressure. He's, got, he's already got his pen out. He's taking notes. He's, he's got the red pen out here tonight. Um, anyway, very good to have you here tonight. Um, uh, just a uh, real, real blessing, uh, real blessing to have you here. So how long are you in town for? I'll leave tomorrow. Leave tomorrow. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sorry, preacher's not here um, tonight, uh, but uh, it's, anyway, very good seeing you. Good to have you here. Um, all right. Philippians is a little bit on, more on the practical side here. Um, I think Colossians, you get into a lot of the doctrinal things, a lot of younger Christians that Paul was trying to establish some doctrine for newer Christians um, in that church at Colossae. So that's where you get a lot of that from. As we wrapped up in the review, it has a lot to do with Laodicea, a lot of doctrinal issues, impractical issues in Colossians that apply to Laodicea that we went through. Philippians is a little bit different because this church doesn't really have any doctrinal issues that Paul deals with. It's, he kind of assumes, when you see the language, he kind of assumes that they are sound in their doctrine. They kind of, they're, they're pretty good. There's not a lot of warning, a lot, not a lot of correction going on here. But it seems like what's happening in Philippians is that they are experiencing some persecution. They're seeing some, uh, some persecution throughout the book here. Almost, if you were going to compare it to a church age, possibly Smyrna, um, where they're good folks and serving the Lord, but starting to see some martyrdom. Uh, these are people who are in the Macedonia, and they are under, they're under some Roman persecution. This is about the same time that Nero is coming into power. So if you get that in, in your mind, it's just historically, when this is happening, it's happening about the same time. It's one of the worst Roman emperors of all time that brings in that Roman persecution. When you think about martyrs in the early church, this, they're really on the forefront of this, and it's starting to happen. Paul is writing this letter from Rome in prison, most likely from Rome in prison. He mentioned, he's definitely in prison, but probably in Rome. And it is, uh, he mentions being in prison a couple times. He says, remember me and my bonds and prank. And they're, so they're looking at, you can imagine this young church, uh, or this church that's a little bit more established, and they are looking at their missionary that started this church, and he's in jail. So imagine, you know, our preacher is in jail, and you wonder, uh, what's going on here? Are we on the right track? Are we doing right here? Um, is this, you know, is there something wrong with us that our preacher's in jail? You know, and so uh, there's, there's some questions there. And what he tells them uh, several times throughout the book, and kind of one of, the, one of the themes of the book, is that, no, you can expect persecution for Jesus Christ. That is, you can expect, when you serve Jesus Christ, look at chapter 1, verse 29. For unto you it is given, you've heard preacher preach this many times here, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So suffering, he says, and he, and he teaches throughout this book, is to be expected as a part of the Christian life. Um, we are not looking for uh, prosperity in this world. We are looking for the world to come. And he mentions the day of Christ, and he mentions the rapture, and when Jesus Christ appears to us, the church, several times throughout this book. So let's just jump into it. And what I was going to do uh, for this first kind of salvo going through Philippians was go through the whole book with you. It's very brief. It's, just, it's like four chapters. It's, very, it's a very short book. But kind of read through the book with you so you can get a big picture overview. Is that, will that work? Um, I used to hunt a little bit. I say used to hunt. I haven't hunted in a year and a half or so. And one of the first things that um, I like to do when you get to a property, you get to a lease, you've got to get in there and see the, the map of everything. They, the, the saying is, the, you know, can't see the forest for the trees. And so before we get into the trees, let's look at the whole forest. Let's get the landscape of the entire book together. Sound good? All right, so Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse number 1. I apologize for having... Uh, 
cough drop in my mouth here. I've got some sore throat stuff going on. So, um, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. We'll talk a little bit about bishops and deacons here. Bishops is another word for pastors here, church leaders there. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So this is Paul writing this with Timothy in verse number one there. He's got Timothy helping him out as he's writing this. You say, well, did Timothy write this with him? Not really, but he may have been kind of a scribe or may have, uh, may have uh, you know, just uh, been part of it. But he keeps on saying, like verse three, I thank my God, not we thank our God. Um, so it is Paul writing this, but he's got Timothy there with him. Um, and he's writing to this church in Philippi. Um, Paul's in jail when he, write, when he writes this. Um, he, he talks about, you're going to see him talk about the, the gospel over and over and over. He, he mentions the gospel for the amount, for the size of the letter, he mentions the gospel more than he does in any other letter for the size of it. Um, and there's also, you'll notice if you're, when we're going through this, you'll notice a, a tremendous amount of joy in this letter. It's a very, very joyful letter. And it's, it's something that we can really learn from. We can really use because it's very easy when things start going wrong to get uh, a um, oh what did what did the old preacher used to say like born in the objective case in the kickative mood you know I think that's what it's it's very easy to start grumbling to murmur and complain about every little thing that starts going wrong and Paul is, it really gives us an example here if he's like if I'm able to be in jail and to rejoice and to sing while I'm in prison then we ought to be able to take hardship without starting to murmur and complain and have problems among ourselves, right? So you see that joy um, come through here as he's writing. In verse number three, very, very warm. He's very, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of fellowship between Paul and the Church of Philippians. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request uh, with joy. Um, you know, I'm not just going to, like, uh, uh, butter up my... Uh, teacher here, but I, I look over at Brother Turner, and I, I, you saw I smiled immediately. It was like, I, when I see Brother Turner, when I think of Brother Turner, I thank God upon my remembrance of Brother Turner. There are people like that that are in your life, where you just like, man, this is, you just have a good relationship with these people, and you thank God for them, for, for what they, they just bring you joy. And so you get that sense all throughout this book here. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship, uh, in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, you'll notice as you read Paul's letter, uh, letters, the several, you know, the different letters, not just this one. In the beginning, a lot of times he'll start with a prayer, or at least he'll start by saying what he is praying for them for. It's, it's good for two things. First of all, it's kind of like an introduction to the letter. He's going to talk a little bit about in, what he's praying for them for is also what he's going to be teaching them. And preaching about in the letter. So almost like an introduction to a sermon where he says what he's about to say to you in summary and then actually gets into it. But also the second thing, Paul is our example. We're supposed to be following him. You know, what a blessing to be able to look at the prayers of Paul and see what is it that he prays for, for them. A great style, and we're going to go through a study of this when we slow down and go through verse by verse here and kind of slowly but I'm going to stop here, Lord willing, and go through all of Paul's prayers at the beginnings of those letters and see what we can learn about praying for each other from Paul's prayers. Because if this is what he's praying for them, then we ought to have that same kind of uh, mentality when we're praying for other people. I'll, say, I'll give you a little hint. He doesn't pray for physical prosperity for all these people over again. These are spiritual blessings that he continues to pray for these folks for. And I think that we are lacking that in our own prayer life. When you think about praying for each other, it's good to have intercessory prayer on the behalf of people's physical needs. But do you see, if I said, how much of your prayer for other people are concerning their physical needs? Lord, this person needs a job. This person needs health issues. This person is going versus spiritual things. What kind of spiritual things? Look at um, verse number five. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's, he goes into things and he starts, he starts uh, talking the, on the spiritual side, not on the physical side. That's a good verse for uh, eternal security, by the way. We'll cover that in more, more in depth. 
Verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. Uh, let's see here. Let me, get, let me get my place in my notes before I go too terribly far here. Okay, here we go. Verse 7, even as, as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds, there he is in, in jail, and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Uh, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. This is the bowels of Jesus Christ. This is the, the feelings that he has here and the inner, the inner uh, this is kind of the feelings or emotions here. And this I pray. What's the prayer? That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That's, see, that's a prayer that we don't often pray for each other. Um, but it's something that we can learn uh, here. We'll dig into that. That you may approve things that are excellent. So he's praying for discernment uh, here. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. There's the day of Christ that he's getting them to focus on. The day of Christ is the, judgment, is the rapture. Um, Brother Woodard preached about and taught about the day of the Lord being a second advent, the day of Christ being the rapture here. So he's getting their eyes on that day. And then verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So he starts by saying what he wants them to understand, that when they see uh, suffering, God is using that for good. You'll see that in verse number 12. Look at verse 12. He doesn't want them to, to, to be complaining about the bad things, but to think about the good things that, are, that God is doing through that suffering. He's going to point out here a few amazing things that have happened as a result of his imprisonment. Part of that is people that are in the highest place, in the highest government in the world, which is Rome and the palace of Caesar there, um, are starting to hear the gospel as a result of his imprisonment. Um, that's, like, that's like people in the White House hearing the gospel because you went to jail. And you'd say, well, I you know, I, I know that you're thinking that this is a problem that I'm in prison, but look at what God is doing with this imprisonment here. Look at verse number 13. My bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. What palace is that? That's the Roman palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying, not only am I is the gospel getting out more and more because I'm in prison, but the people that are seeing me in prison are more bold to preach as a result of it. You know, that's one thing. If our preacher went to jail for preaching the gospel, um, some people might say, well, that's going to make you not want to preach. Maybe, you know, if you're kind of uh, on the wrong side of that, it makes you be quiet. But what we see is that it actually made people more bold. They say, well, you know, he's willing to suffer and willing to suffer joyfully. What am I doing? Uh, you get that feeling when like a missionary comes through and you say, well, man, if they're willing to give up everything and go over there, then I need to witness to my neighbor. Right? And that's, you know, if they're willing to suffer and do that, then I need to give. Then I need to come off my wallet. Then I need to be more sacrificial. See, the, so, there's, so he is showing them that God is doing something uh, good with what the Antichrist or the devil um, there, the which, you know, the, when I say the Antichrist, I mean the type of the Antichrist there, is trying to do something bad to him, okay? So look at uh, verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. So they're preaching Christ, they're, they're telling other people about Jesus Christ for the wrong reasons. They're trying to stir up strife. They're trying to stir up problems. And some also of goodwill. So there's some good, some bad. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. These people are trying to get him uh, to be in more trouble. But the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way. He's looking on the, on the bright side here. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I therein do rejoice. Yea, and I will rejoice. So you want to you wanna preach Christ in order to try to get them to be more strict on me in jail or... Give me a, a harsher sentence. That's fine. I'm fine with that as long as Jesus Christ is preached. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that word salvation there, but it's a good place to say um, not every time you see the word salvation does it mean eternal salvation and glory here. In this case, it's talking about salvation from this prison sentence that he's in. Okay, he's, They're praying that he'll get out of jail. Not They're not praying for his 
eternal salvation in heaven there. This is rightly dividing. This is, you know, taking a word and saying, what does this word mean? Not every time the Bible says baptism does it mean water. Not every time it says salvation does it mean eternal. It's, there's different, uh, uh, different, you have to look at the context of it in order to be able to find it. I, I'm going to get a mug. Preachers sometimes will have coffee when he's doing Bible study here. I get a mug that I saw when I'm teaching through this book of Philippians. It says, uh, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. <laughs> so as we're going through Philippians, we'll finally get to chapter 4 where it says, I can do all things. I saw somebody with the bumper sticker tonight. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to get that coffee mug here. Uh, You've got you to gotta see the context of it in order to be able to get what he's talking about, or else you'll say, well, we're supposed to be praying for each other's salvation that are already saved. No. Got to get it right. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. So uh, what verse are we in? Uh, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness... As always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And then a great verse, verse 21. As a matter of fact, little kids come up to, to me and ask, you know, if they'll ask me to sign their Bible, I'll put my name, Philippians 121. So, so the, one of the verses that caught my eye when I was a young Christian, still in school. Look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Um, I'm a winner either way, Amen. if I go or if I stay. And that's what Paul is saying here. I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a winner. I, I, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? Are you going to send me to heaven early, he's saying? Okay. I'll stay with you. I'll help you. I'll go early. That's far better. Look at verse 22. If I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. For yet what I shall choose, I wot not. I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Um, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh. Okay, I want to slow down here just a little bit here because he is going to start, he's going to say, as, as I said a couple times here, he, look at Paul's mindset here. His mindset is that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. No matter what is going on to a Christian, have you ever heard anybody say, um, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get? For a lost person, this is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. For a Christian, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. That's a blessing. That's, that's something, that, and, and Paul is going to show us here how to uh, be mindful um, of that. Only let your conversation, that's your uh, conduct, that's how you're walking, so it's not just about mindset, but it's about your walk here. Be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's, uh, does, does, your, does your conduct, does your conversation become the gospel? Is it becoming of the gospel? Or is the way you're living not in line with the gospel? What's the gospel? The gospel is you are, you are we know the gospel of Jesus Christ is a death, burial, and resurrection. But he's talking about here the fact that you die, you're going to heaven. Does your life present that to other people? Or does it look like you are living for down here? So he's going to challenge them on this. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So you actually see, um, you actually see them getting this, this start, this, start to get this mindset. See that, that verse where it says, with one mind striving together? And he says that ye stand fast in one spirit. He's going to start talking to them a little bit about their mindset. And I'll challenge you here tonight. What is your overall mindset? Where is your mind at? Is your mind minding earthly things or heavenly things? So he's going to talk to them about their mind here a little bit. And nothing terrified by your adversaries, um, which is to them an evident token of perdition. There's something wrong with you, but to you of salvation. When you're going through struggles to the world, it looks like you got, you're getting it wrong. But to you, it looks like you're getting it right. Amen? He says, so this is, this is the mindset that you have to have. Don't be terrified by your uh, adversaries and don't try to go about changing your circumstances. It has nothing to do with your outside circumstances. 
It's about understanding your circumstances in light of the gospel. That's where we ought to be. But unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. So they're having the same struggle here. Um, so they are starting to see some persecution. Their church leader, founder, missionary is starting to see, is seeing some persecution, definitely. And he is going to warn them about a couple things here in chapter 2. And this is where we were on Sunday morning. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, and look at these ifs. He doesn't say if because he thinks that there may not be. He says if, kind of like a, a rhetorical way of making, a, making it stronger. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, so, is there a consolation in Christ? Of course there is. Is there comfort and love? Of course. Is there fellowship of the Spirit? And there's, by the way, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in one verse there. The consolation of Christ, comfort of love would deal with God. God is love. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. He wants them to all be like-minded. He's looking at this church. He says, I want you to all be of the same mind, of having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. This is a plea, this is a call from Paul, from Paul to the church for unity. Unity, that cursed word, <laughs> unity. Brother Sam, how do we have unity whenever so many Christians are living wicked lives? How do we have unity whenever so many Christians have wicked doctrine? Good question. That's, that's the problem, isn't it? How do you be obedient to a command to unity while also being obedient to a command to holiness. Because he says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So how are you supposed to be separate and be together at the same time? That is the, that's the, 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 thing, the tension that pulls against you. Right? Because folks, it's very easy to have holiness without unity. Ask the Amish. Separate from everybody. Even the, ask the Shakers, the Quakers. The Amish split off into the Quakers, and the Quakers split off into the Shakers, and the, the Shakers now have two little old ladies that are that the last two in the denomination. We don't want to have two little old ladies that are last two in the Bible-believing denomination or movement because we can't get along with each other. Because we split over every little, tiny little thing. Amen? But, Brother Sam, doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to divide from those people who are... Yeah. So how do you do that? He's going to tell you exactly how to do this. And also, <laughs> how, if you have unity, how do you have holiness? Right? Sure. Either you have uh, unity and you're not holy, or you have holiness, Amish, no unity. Unity... 1122, <laughs> no holiness. Everybody drinks and parties and everybody, no, nobody cares about doctrine at all. And nobody, everybody, we all get along and don't talk about doctrine because doctrine divides. Unity, no holiness. Amish, holiness, no unity. How do we solve this? Is there a way to solve it? Yes. This is what Paul says in here. And it's right in the middle of the book, by the way. This whole thing I say is kind of like this tension that's pulling against each other. It's the pivot point and the, the, the central point of this whole book. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse number 2. Fulfilling my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife is contention, arguing with each other. I'm do, you're doing something because you're trying to hurt someone else. Vainglory is when you're doing something because you're trying to lift yourself up. I don't care if it hurts anybody else. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to get what's mine. Vainglory, strife, these are two things he's, he warns him about. He says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That starts to, when you read that, doesn't, don't you feel a little bit of the poison come out of your heart just reading it? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 
Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Others. That'll take care of the strife. That'll take care of the vainglory, right? right. You're looking at for your own things. Um, I want to be in church. And here, I'll give a dumb example. Uh, I, I was supposed to sing on Sunday morning, and I got bumped for uh, Brother Roger. Brother Roger always sings. <laughs> what about me? What about my spot? Vainglory. Instead of, I want him to I No, I'd rather him sing. That's deferring. It's looking on someone else's. That's, a like, like I said, a very surface level thing. But it comes down to how we all kind of live and work together and, and get along. Look not on every... I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to have a baby shower on this day, and she had her wedding shower on this day. Look, the tables, I wanted to have a wedding shower, but the table's full of baby shower stuff. I guess my wedding doesn't matter. I hope that's not going on right now. That's a little thing, but you see see what I'm saying? Like all kinds of little things where if if we're not careful, we'll start to say, we'll start to all look out for each other. I've got my thing I'm doing in church, and when I walk in, I'm thinking about my stuff. And it's, for me, it's, it's youth ministry stuff, it's song stuff, and... I don't care if other stuff is going on because I've got to get my stuff taken care of. And, right? Or it could be a money thing. Why, why are we spending money on this when I think this is more important? Really gets down to it. Um, it it's stuff in your household. It's not just in church, but your household is the same way where uh, husbands, you have something that you want to do and your wife wants to do something else, and we ought to be looking at them and saying, I'm esteeming what she wants to do more than what I want to do. And she ought to be saying the same thing to the husband. I, well, it's, we ought to be deferring to each other and looking out for each other's things more than our own things. So I know that if I look out for my own things, I've got one person looking out for them. But if I look out for your stuff and you look out for my stuff, I've got 100 people looking out for me. Amen. And this is, this is a much better way to live. But it's tough. It requires you to humble yourself, put yourself down. Look at verse number five. But he says we have a, we have a pretty good example of this. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. We talked about this sevenfold humbling self-humbling of Jesus Christ, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How do we, how do we uh, care more about others than ourselves? We look at Jesus Christ. You have a good walk with Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ inside you. You let him, you, you let him live through you. You let him talk instead of your own voice. You let you say, what would, you know, how would Jesus Christ say this? How Jesus Christ handled what is what is Jesus what does Lord Jesus Christ want me to do here? Your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, your fellowship with Him, you let that uh, uh, take over your day to day conversation, your dealings with other people, and so that when you're dealing with other folks, you get how Jesus Christ would deal with them and not how you would deal with them. Jesus Christ never did anything for Himself. You say, well, He did something for His own glory. No, He didn't. He did some. He did that for. Others, look at, the, look at the passage here. And God, the Father, highly exalted him for it. He let someone else exalt him. He didn't exalt himself. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. Verse number 9. Given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Maybe we'll talk about things under the earth. <laughs> and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. So, you see there's kind of two halves to that poem there. Verse 5 through 8 is the first half where he is coming down, and the second half, 9 through 11, is where he's going up. But it's not, Je- it's not Jesus Christ who lifted himself up. It's Jesus Christ who, who, who humbled himself, and God uh, exalted him as a result of it. So that is what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and God will uh, exalt you. What's the verse? That he may exalt you in due time, that he may... I don't remember what I've had. Sorry, Brother Turner. All right. This is a joke. All right. Um, I am conscious of Brother Turner sitting over there, though. 
All right, wherefore, my beloved brethren, or my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, holiness. Before the passage started, verses 1 through 4, there's unity. You see it? After the poem ends, verse number 12, holiness. So we'll get into this, but he is using this as a pivot point in the, path, in the whole book to show there is tension between, between uh, not being divisive and also being holy. But he's going to show us how to do it right here, right here in the book. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. That doesn't mean uh, work on, on your salvation. Work out your salvation. And we'll get into this as we dig in through this book here. I'm just kind of like touching on it. For those who are just coming in, we're just touching on it real quickly as a big overview. And then we're going to get back into this uh, verse by verse. But he says, work out your salvation. That is, Jesus Christ is living in you, right? Are you saved here tonight? Raise your hand if you're saved here tonight. You have the Lord Jesus Christ living inside you. But not, not, you don't always see that, do you? Did other people see Jesus Christ? Do other people, based on your life today, know that Jesus Christ is living inside you? Or do they think you have seven devils living inside you? Based on your life today. Based on how you're treating other people, do they say that's Jesus Christ living inside them? Work out your salvation. Put on the outside what is on the inside. Amen. That's the holiness portion of it. That's the holiness portion of it. That is, Jesus Christ did not go everywhere with everybody. And Jesus Christ did not allow sin in his life in order to get along with everybody. And he didn't just slough off doctrine is not a big deal in order to be able to get along with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now, you know, it doesn't matter about the resurrection. Let's all just get along. Amen. That wasn't what it, and, that, and if, you are, if you have Jesus Christ inside you working out your salvation, you're going to work it out in holiness. But when you do that, you're going to work it out in holiness and humility, not holiness and division, divisiveness. You see it? So, for it's God that work, which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. You see that? Murmuring, disputing, that is a direct mirror to verse number three, strife and vainglory. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. So there's the unity, lowliness of mind. Now here's the holiness. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. When you think of murmurings and disputings in the, in the Bible, what do you think, what story do you think of that comes up most about murmuring and disputing? Jews in the wilderness. <laughs> Jews in the wilderness. <laughs> Jews in the wilderness, that's it, that's it, right? You think about them getting out, getting out, the greatest thing that has ever, that will ever happen to Israel, they're slaves in Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, the, the water's standing on both sides like jello, and they walk through on dry land, and they see fish suspended like your grandma's fruitcake at Christmas <laughs> in the side of the water, Right? That's Exodus 14. It's, it's, that's in there. Grandma's fruitcake. It says the water's congealed, I think it says, is the exact word. Um, right? On dry ground, it says, they walk by. And as we said on Sunday, they saw Pharaoh sink like a stone. He, like he had lead weights on his ankles. He sank. And they saw all of that. They heard Moses sing a song. Moses, 80-year-old man, singing a song. Makes, makes it up right there on the spot through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful time. Hey, did anybody bring any onions with you into the desert? I forgot the leeks and the onions. Oh, man, what are we going to cook with? <sighs> honey, you didn't bring the leeks and the onions with you? I told you to check before we left the house. We didn't have a lot of time, honey, to leave the house. I told you to get the, uh, the food. Now we're going to go through it. It's probably going to take us about 30 or 40 days to get to the promised land we got to have enough leeks and onions for 30 or 40 days. Well, if you wouldn't have rushed me so much, I would have had the leeks and the onions. <laughs> Amen? Sure. Murmurings, disputings, 
uh, how quickly we forget the miracles of God that happen. How quickly we forget our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ living inside you, the miracle of, the, of Jesus for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we as filthy beings would have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And we say, it's a little cold. In here. Why is the church always so cold? Why is the church, why is it, what? Murmurings, disputings. Well, the church, that new church is nice over there, but it's a long way to the, to the bathroom. <laughs> Couldn't they put a bathroom a little closer to the, right? Murmur, murmurings, disputings. <laughs> I'm not going to ask what you, what you just said. <laughs> murmurings and disputings. Uh, verse number 15, um, that you may be blameless and harmless. Blameless and harmless is a key application that Paul is looking for all through the book. Blameless has to do with your personal holiness, right? That is your, uh, you've got to be blameless. And harmless has to do with how we treat others. So he's showing that tension between these two things. You, you don't want to hurt other people while you're being holy. And you don't want to be unholy while you are trying not to hurt other people. You don't want to compromise for the sake of not hurting someone. And you don't want to hurt someone for the sake of not compromising. That's the, that's the thing that we've got to, to keep here. Amen? Um, sometimes people who are trying to live holy before God can trample over other people in the process. They don't care about hurting other people because they are, bless God, concerned with how God feels about them and not what you feel about them. I, I, I care about what God feels, not what you feel. People who are concerned with how people feel have the temptation of compromising on their holiness, doing things and excusing things in their own, own lives in order to make people feel comfortable. People come into my home and they brought their, we had a party in my backyard and they brought their cooler and they had a bunch of beer in the cooler and I just didn't want to make them feel uncomfortable. So I let them have their beer in my backyard. Compromising your holiness for the sake of unity, for the sake of not hurting somebody else, ignoring the fact that they're grieving the Holy Ghost of God. So that's the balance that we've got to get. That's what we've got to look at. And, and Paul says here, you're doing great doctrinally. Everything's wonderful. I love you to death. Careful to have, hold both of these things here. So a lot of this letter has to do with these two things that seem to be tough to do at the same time. Living blameless before God without rebuke. Um, look at verse number 15. That you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke. Blameless. And while also being harmless among men. Among men, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you, if you compromise in order to not hurt them, you hurt them more than you ever could. Because they see that you're not a Christian. They see that you're not serious. They, they don't see Jesus Christ living in you. They see unholiness in your life, and they're not going to get saved. So, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Um, he says, I... Hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. There's the holiness. With one mind. So there's standing fast, not giving up your position, and then with one mind striving together, not giving up your uh, unity. Look over at chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my dearly beloved and long for, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord. Holiness, I beseech these two people that they get along. Verse 2, unity. Holiness, unity, holiness, unity. How do we do it? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the key. Fellowship with Jesus Christ, letting him, not compromising um, for that. So the poem at chapter 2, you can go back to chapter 2, actually sits right in the center joint of this question. How to stand firm in the truth without standing on someone's neck while you're doing it. Um, before, he tells him to have unity in mind. After, he tells him to live holy. Look at verse 22. Y'all doing all right so far? Good? All right, verse number 22. But you know the proof of him. Oh, wait, I skipped way down. Uh, holding forth the word of life in verse number 16. The word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So he's, if, if he has to suffer so that they can uh, grow in, in their 
walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's happy for them and with them. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may also be of good comfort when I know your state. He's, there's, there's, here's this love that he has for him coming out. It's very warm. Can you, do you sense it when you, when you read it? Sense the kind of warmth that he has for the church here. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. So you have somebody that you trust, and that person recommends someone else to you. This has a lot to do with why we ordain folks, because you trust preacher, and you've proved preacher over many years, not because you just trust him implicitly, but you've proved him, his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he stands up and says, this man here, I've watched him. I know you don't know this guy, but I've watched him, and I've proved him as well, so receive him like you'd receive me. So there's this line that goes down from the apostles all, all throughout the earth um, of this. He served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope... This is why, uh, gentlemen, young men, preachers, uh, we don't go out and start our own thing without any blessing of someone over us and that we're listening to. I'm not saying some type of denominational thing, but this whole, there's this, this, this overly independent mindset, especially amongst, uh, amongst our crowd, can be overly, I don't, I don't need their approval. I'm just going to be, there's, a, there's independent and then there's rogue. Bless God, I don't need to go to school. Yeah, you do. Yeah, we don't, no one wants to hear your same three sermons for the rest of their life. And, no one needs, and they need to know that you know the Bible, that you know the book, that you can sit down and study the Bible with them, and you've got more than just John 3.16 and your testimony, which are two wonderful things that you will preach the first two Sundays that you're there. But beyond that, beyond just the knowledge of it, just to be, to be able to say, this person was trained and approved by someone that was trained and approved by someone that was trained and approved by someone that was trained and approved and not, well, who's your pastor? Well, he, he don't need to listen to anybody. He don't need to go to school. He don't need to this and that. Okay. Spin off and into oblivion. So many uh, young churches started and by those types of men, rogue I don't have to listen to anybody kind of people. And they just, pff, they peter out after, after a few years or after a few months um, because uh, they're not proven. They're not proven. Um, young men, humble yourself. Sit down. Uh, listen. Prove yourself to a man who has already proved himself. It will be absolutely invaluable to you to do that. I, I'm pretty sure, I'm 100% sure that none of you in here would listen to me at all if I just walked in off the street and was like, I love God, you should listen to me preach. You'd be like, sit down. The only reason, the only reason y'all are sitting here listening is because preacher said, Sam, I want you to teach, and preacher said, I've proven him over the years. Amen. Right? Amen. That's the only reason. Some of y'all are newer folks. You don't know me from Adam. But you've got kind of, an, kind of a little bit of a trust in me that more than you would have otherwise because you know preacher has vetted me and has watched me for years. Right? So, I mean, I thank God for that. If I tried to go out and do something, you know, rogue or something, uh, I wouldn't have people listening to the Bible here. It's, so I'm telling young men here, it's, it's to the benefit of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ to do it God's way and to not be rogue. And to not be so independent that you are a rebel. Amen. Sit down, listen, and then and God will bless that. You know, but it takes, it takes time to prove something. You're going to prove it, it'll take time. Verse 22, um, you have the proof of him. And then uh, verse 23, uh, Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He wants to come see him himself. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, that he that ministered to my wants. So he came from their church, it looks like, and came and gave gifts, food probably, um, to Paul. For he longed after you all, and that he was, he was full of heaviness, because that he, ye had heard that he had been sick. 
That is, he was sad because he was sick and y'all heard about it and y'all were upset and he was upset that y'all were upset. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. He came over here and put his neck down um, in order to help me. Um, maybe took a gift. It looks like took a gift from the Philippian church. We'll show, that, show you that at the end of the passage here. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3. Everybody go, okay? Finally, my brethren. Finally. Is this the first time he says finally? He is a preacher. He says it, I think, three times in the book. <laughs> finally. I'm closing. In my closing, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, it is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And then some of the warnings that you see in, that we saw in Colossians, beware of dogs, uh, girls, young girls. Underline that verse. Amen. Amen. Sophie, underline that verse. Amen. Beware of dogs. Eve, beware of dogs. Miss Merrick, beware of dogs. In the original Greek, it is men. It's, it's the word is men. Uh, beware of men in the original. Beware of evil workers. Not all workers are good workers. Not all Christians are people to follow. Not all people who claim to be a worker or servant of Jesus Christ are people that are... Beware of evil workers. There are evil workers in the world. Young people, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean you need to listen to them. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. That's the... Uh, Jews, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's saying these people are saying that they're God's people because of the flesh only, but they've rejected God spiritually. He says that we have no confidence in the flesh. Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Why, Sam, is he warning them of this thing? There are some Jewish people that are around these early churches that are kind of picking off Christians, saying, oh, you believe in God? We believe in God. Come to the synagogue. We'll teach you all about the Old Testament. And also, by the way, while you're here at the synagogue, do this and this and this. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Observe the Sabbath. Observe this. Observe that. Oh, and you don't need to go back to that church over there. We'll teach you everything we, you need to know over here in the synagogue. Right? Sure. And, and Paul's concern, the Jews are picking people off in the early church there. He says they're enemies for the gospel's sake, but for God's sake, they're our friends and they're beloved. So we are pro-Jew. Let me be clear, very clear right now. We are pro-Israel. 100%. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We are pro-Israel. It is God's people. Do not lay your hands on them. But he says, watch out for those in this early church that are coming in and trying to, to, to get you to go to the, into the synagogue and get into the Old Testament. He says, I could trust in the flesh. Look at verse 5. And count them up. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Seven steps up. Seven steps up. I mean, this is designed by the Holy Spirit to point something out. Lifted himself up seven times. To, what's seven? It's completeness. He's like, I'm as good as I possibly could have been. Fully, completely good in the flesh. Just like Jesus Christ was fully, completely humbled uh, himself in the flesh. I completely raised myself up in the flesh, he said. Comparing himself, to, you know, in contrast to Jesus Christ there. Notice he put Jesus Christ's story in the middle of the book and his story on the outside, on the outskirts of the book. Verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Amen. Underline it if you don't have it underlined. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And we'll dig into that a little bit there as well. One of Preacher's favorite verses, fantastic and amazing Bible verse you ought to memorize, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, 
if by any means I, m- I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. It's not saying attain resurrection. I'm not going to by any means earn my re- earn resurrection. He's saying I'm, I'm working out what is in me. I am apprehending that for which I'm also, I've already apprehended. Or I was apprehended of God. He's working this thing out. He's got the resurrection, but he's got to be able to attain to it. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, that is in the flesh, this is works there. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So Jesus Christ grabbed onto Paul for a reason. He was apprehended of Christ Jesus for something. And Paul says, I want to apprehend, I want to grab onto, that for which I was apprehended. And the way I teach that to teenagers is the basketball team goes out and grabs a player and recruits a player so that they can win a championship. And God went out and grabbed Paul and said, I want you to be my apostle so that he could be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul says, I want to fulfill my office and magnify my office. I want to do what God wanted me to do. I want to do what God called me to do. God apprehended me. He got a hold of me. Me, when I was 17 years old, God got a hold of me and called me to preach. And I want to fulfill what it is that God called me to preach for. He didn't call me to preach for myself. He called me to preach for something else. And I want to, I, I want to get done what God did in me. I want to, I want to get, a, get a hold of that for which God got a hold of me. Do you know what it is that God got a hold of you for? What is it that God has for you? Are you going about trying to apprehend something for your own vainglory? Or are you going about trying to apprehend that for which you were apprehended of Christ? Look at verse number 14. I, 13, we can't skip that. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Underline it. Memorize it. Wonderful, wonderful verse. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, if, if any, in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Okay? So here, once again, is the emphasis on the mindset. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. What we've, where we've got, let's not go backwards here. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So you've got some people um, that you can look at. Verse 18, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, which he said in the beginning of the book. You'll see a lot of times in the Bible that books are written as kind of a mirror where they, they, they start somewhere, they move to the center, and then they move to the outside, but all of them mirror together. Okay, so that's why you see the garden in the first part of the Bible, and you see a garden at the end of the Bible. You see, you kind of fold all of these things together. Um, so he's, that's how this book is written here. Uh, brethren, in verse number 19, whose end... Uh, end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind, there's that mindset, earthly things. Uh, that's that vainglory. For our conversation, that's that conduct again, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's your eyes and where, where we're supposed to be looking there. Who shall change our vile body, another one to underline, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, verse chapter 4, verse 1, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that, thou be, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There's the mindset again. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, here's women that are working, and we a lot of times put women way, way, way down too much. He calls them a fellow laborer. He says that they're, they're uh, fellow laborers. Help those women. Brother Sam, I thought women were supposed to be helping the men. Well, they are, but the men are also supposed to be helping the women. Well, I don't think men ought to be helping no women. In the, well, get right with God then, because it says to do it right there in the verse. <laughs> 
Amen. 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 I'll amen, amen myself if you want to amen me. I'll amen myself. All right. And treat thee also, treat, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. When Miss Peacock comes out and says, I need you to do something, she doesn't have to say, because preacher said it. <laughs> you can just say, because I need some help. Amen. Amen. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all, unto all men. That's the only place that mod, the word moderation is in the Bible there. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Moderation, not too much of this, not too much of this. We're talking about balance. Why? Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. And then a passage I will go through quickly here and then we'll dig into once we get in this, but this is one of the greatest needs of uh, Christians today. This mindset, if you'll stop with the strife, stop with the vainglory, stop with the murmurings and disputings and trying to get for yourself and start to think about others, what will happen to your mind as a result of it? Look at verse number six, be careful for nothing. The New Bible's changed that to anxious, but anxious is a medical diagnosis. And careful is something that we have control over. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We'll dig into that um, heavily here. Finally, brethren, verse 8, there it is again. Whatsoever things are true, and underline it, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. You see it? Think on these things. Um, remember that Nero was coming into the power at this time. Christians were about to start being persecuted in Rome in big numbers. Um, have, you, have you ever studied the book of martyrs, Fox's book of martyrs? Have you ever noticed something about, about those martyrs? They were, they were so cool under pressure. The statements that they made. It's like these, these, why, how are they, how do they have such a cool head whenever there's fire around them? And this is how they did it. This is how they did it. The peace of, they're, they're thinking, they're, the peace of God is passing all understanding in verse 7. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. Brother Sam, have you seen the news lately? You seen what they're doing over in, yeah, brother, read that verse right there. That's not where we're supposed to be as Christians. Amen. Well, let me tell you all that's going wrong in the world. And uh, I know there's a lot going wrong in the world. And I know we're supposed to preach against it. And that's good. Uh, there's all, all kinds of things. But we're not supposed to dwell on it. Amen. Amen. You, know what, you know how you dwell? Pew. Oh, ugh. They call it doom scrolling. <laughs> Terrible. Awful. Ah. I need, oh, I need some Pepto-Bismol. Right? Sure. This is a, whatever that verse is, this is whatever, this is the opposite of that. Amen. It really is, isn't it? Um, think on these things. Whatsoever is, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Brother Sam, you don't know what these, this person said about these persons, this and that. Is there any virtue? Is there any praise? Think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received, heard, seen in me, and God of peace do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I reckon, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. You wanted to help me, but you didn't have opportunity to. Now, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. That's lowered. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Doesn't that verse make a lot more sense in context? Sure. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. They're giving to him. Communication is giving. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, which I when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. They were the only ones supporting Paul. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's using that to be able to help them. Verse 18, but I have all and abound. I'm full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable. Thank you for the gift, he's saying. 
well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. By the way, I'm in prison, but got a bunch of believers here that I'm witnessing to. The brethren in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's take a break. Bye.